so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Recent years have seen a resurgence in church planting, especially in hard-to-reach areas. But what will church planting look like in the future? John Aiken talks to leading church planting experts to discuss how the gospel will go forward through this movement. We hope you enjoy this panel. My name is John Aiken. I work for the North American Mission Board overseeing Young Leader Ministries, and we're going to have a conversation uh, about the gospel and the future of evangelism and church planting. And here joining me uh, is Kevin Ezel, who's the president of the North American Mission Board, Afshin Ziafat, who's the lead pastor of the Providence Church in Frisco, Nathan Lino, who's the lead pastor of the Northeast Houston Baptist Church in Houston, and Josh Patterson, one of the lead pastors at the Village Church here. Uh, and so uh, we're going to have a, a, just a, a fun conversation about evangelism and church planting and, and kind of where things are heading but in order to start that off, I want to kind of think about where things have been when it comes to evangelism and, and how we've gotten to where we are. And so I, I wouldn't think that my experience is typical of everybody else's on the stage, but I grew up, I, I was saved at an early age. I was doing door-to-door evangelism by the time I was eight years old. And so knocking on the door, ma'am, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? We've kind of moved away from that. Kevin, what was your uh, experience growing up? What, what was the past of evangelism like? And why have we moved away from that, do you think? Sure. I remember when uh, my most vivid memories were when I was 15, I was a, a bus captain at an independent Baptist church. And uh, I'd go around on Saturdays with a bag of uh, double bubble uh, looking for big wheels in the yard and uh, trying to invite kids uh, to ride my bus. And, and then so they would come to, to, to know Christ. And it really taught me the fact of just going door to door. But the problem is, Today, it's, a, it's, it's not the same world it was back then, and uh, so it's a little bit of both, both and. But I grew up, same type of thing. People were much more open. Going to a door was not a problem, and uh, it still can work today. It's just that it is a different world than it was, yeah. especially back as many years ago. I mean, you start with the old guy, and you work into the young guys. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, uh, Nathan, in, in your experience, I think in the past, many churches, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, it was programmed, right? Visitation was called. You're taught a specific method, whether it's Romans Road, whatever, and then there were a specific night or time of the week that you would go out sharing your faith. Were there advantages to that type of method, and what were some of the the disadvantages to that type of method? Yeah, I do think there is an advantage to it. Um, It's a big gap for a church member to go from sitting in the pew, so to speak, on Sunday morning agreeing, I need to be evangelizing as I go. Great commission evangelism as you're going, uh, sharing the gospel in my network. It's a big gap between agreeing to that in the pew on Sunday morning and that being reality at work and in your neighborhood. And I do think it is the responsibility of the pastors to bridge that gap. I don't think our people are going to navigate that on their own. 
And I do think that that's where organized public evangelism comes in, in the life of the church. I do think there has to be some form of bridging for the church to train the people to actually go and evangelize. And so what we've experienced in, in our case is we think that organized public evangelism is what leads to organic personal evangelism. That when the church family goes out together to evangelize the lost, whatever that looks like in their context, that is what leads to, in our experience, the church members then sharing the gospel one-on-one at work and in their neighborhood. But I think where things derailed in the past is organized public evangelism became the sole definition of evangelism. Um, like, like our church evangelizes Monday night from five to seven. We check the evangelism box for the week and now we do these other things. And so I think in it, the, the programmed canned approach created in the minds of the people, we evangelize Monday nights. Our church is evangelizing because folks, whether I did or not, did show up Monday night. And it just became a, a bunch of notch-counting, box-checking, programmed mm-hmm. activity yeah. and was not leading to organic personal evangelism. So, so how do y'all do now? Just maybe briefly tell us, or you talk about organized evangelism. Yeah. What, what does that look like? What do y'all do? Well, I mean, we believe that within the bounds of love, there's no form of evan- uh, wrong form of evangelism except none not doing it. But So, so we're like, whatever it takes, uh, multi-layered. So we do... We do, you know, physical needs uh, evangelism where we go and meet the needs of people with obvious physical limitations because that opens the door. But we also still knock on doors. Okay. So we have a very large organized door knocking ministry. It's called the Jericho Project. We drew a circle around our church. There's 38,000 houses in it. We've been to over 20,000 of them now. Um, we do that because in our context, that does work to bridge the gap between our members on Sunday morning Gotcha. Wanting to share the gospel and actually going and doing it. So we, we uh, once a quarter offer personal evangelism training workshops in which we teach our people how to share the gospel. And then once a quarter, we go out as a church family and knock on doors. And what we have found is those who come to the organized public evangelism are the ones who end up sharing the gospel as they go gotcha. living in our city. So Josh and Ashley, let me ask you. So that, those were some of the, the dominant strategies of the past. What are the now the dominant strategies of, the, of contemporary uh, evangelical church? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for for us, um, uh, my my desire is for our people to have a, a a good biblical vision of of evangelism, and um, that that our church is to be a a sending church, so to speak, not a hey come and bring your lost person to come hear me tell them about Jesus. But my role as an elder, as Ephesians four says, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So my desire is for our people. Uh, to see wherever they work, wherever their neighborhood is, you know, wherever you know, sports teams are involved in, that is their mission field. And so I think um, uh, maybe this is the answer to the question of strategy, uh, but I, I would say really foundationally, I want our people to see evangelism um, not as a burdensome uh, responsibility that they have to just check the box, and, uh, but as something that is an incredible grace of God that we get to be a part of, uh, seeing him move in the lives of other people and for it to be a joy. And the way that happens, I believe, is for them to first be enraptured by the gospel themselves, uh, to be so blown away by uh, the fact that God loved them when they were enemies, and for them to taste and see that the Lord is good, uh, so that drives them, that motivates them to want to go then and, and say, man, you got to come and taste and see that the yeah. Lord is good. And so um, I think I want them to understand that, uh, that our, our mission is every 
member is a, an ambassador, and I want them to see, uh, to really get the gospel themselves. Because I think the gospel is, is what is, is going to motivate people to go out. So, so Josh, let me, let me follow up with you. So uh, more current strategy, is, as Afshin has described, more relational, more organic, less organized, to use Nathan's term. Uh, what are the advantages to that style, and what are the disadvantages? I know we see in, in Scripture multiple times where God saves an individual and then saves a relational network, right? So what are the advantages of that? What are the disadvantages of that? Well, I think um, I, it was funny just listening to Kevin talk about his vivid memories at 15, and I'm trying to forget most of my memories from 15. <laughs> I, uh, I was not raised in the church, and so I, I, I didn't have any of that background. Um, I, I came to Christ uh, in, a, in a man's living room. Uh, as he invited me in and demonstrated hospitality and shared the gospel. And uh, as he was hosting a Bible study, uh, out of the goodness of his heart, it's what he wanted to do, reaching out to students. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't organized by a church. It was organized by, by a guy's, guy's heart who was compelled by the gospel. And, um, and it changed my life. And I, I think we need both. I think there's, there's the reality that, that some of the younger generation or the generation... Um, that, that kind of looks to the organized and says, man, can you believe we used to do it that way? But we haven't really replaced it with much, right? And, um, and so I, I, I wouldn't want to knock at all what they're doing because I think what they're doing is really compelling. I just don't think it's enough. Uh, and you've already said that, right? If, if all we have is the organized strategy, then it can become that checklist. It can become that thing where you just, uh, the church is doing this, Right. Uh, and, and, and you're able to pawn off evangelism. Well, really, evangelism, to Afshin's point, is that opportunity to demonstrate an overflow of what God has done in me. And I don't think it's that hard. I just don't think it's that hard to share. Like, my life has been changed. Let me tell you. Yeah. I was once blind, and I'm not anymore. And let me tell you why and how. And, um, and if we're not there, like, if my heart's not there, then you can have as many Monday nights as you want. Uh, or you can have as many teachings and trainings as you want. If, if you really haven't been captured by the gospel, then I think evangelism just falls flat. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Let me just say something real quick. I, by the way, I, had a, I have a one-week-old at home, so I'm barely thinking straight. So I started a talk, and I was like, where was I going with that? And then you just, <laughs> that's what I was trying to get to right there at the very end. So well, let me just say, because for me, um, I, I, be, I came from a Muslim background, and basically uh, there, there was a lady who poured her life into me and taught me English, every day after school who handed me a New Testament. There was a kid at school that would come debate with me uh, after school every day, Islam versus Christianity. There was somebody who invited me to an evangelistic crusade, and then there was somebody who preached the gospel, and I heard the, and I heard the gospel. So if someone says, do you believe in event evangelism, relational evangelism, uh, you know, EE type of an approach, of whatever, organized, I, I say yes. I believe in all of them because they all were used in my life. But I think he said it. What I was trying to say, I didn't finish it off really well, is just to say the reason I want them to really experience the gospel, for them to taste and see that the Lord is good, is because not to go against, like, for instance, an EE. I think the diagnostic questions are giving people handles on how to share their faith is a great thing. But I would rather our people, um, the strategy of, of laying out the gospel comes from um, their own life experience. And let me tell you how, like you said, how Jesus has changed my life and that that is kind of the entry point to sharing the gospel. So, so let me ask, though, uh, in a follow-up to both of you, because I, I, would, I would agree, I think if it's not in the heart, it doesn't matter how many training sessions you give, they're not going to share their faith. But do you see value in 
a specific me- method or teaching some specific way, like somebody who's, who's getting excited, like I want to share my faith, but, but I don't know how. Do you see value in a specific method? And is there one that you like best in like this post-Christian culture? I don't know the answer to that, um, but I do. We train. We train here, and uh, you heard Jen Wilkin talk about it last night. Um, and one of the, the phrases that we have here is we want to send those that we train and train those that we send. And, uh, and our hope is to create a groundswell here at the Village Church where we're training men and women. And the end of that training is not a puffing up of chest or head knowledge. The end of that training is missional, that you're to go out. So just uh, this past Sunday night, we had uh, a prayer service in here, and a, a woman came up and testified, a mom of four kids. And uh, she was in our training program, which is uh, our, our, one of our aspects of our theological insti- or of our institute here. And she, she talked about uh, an assignment that was given, which was an evangelism assignment. It's a part of the training, is to share your faith. And, and that creates anxiety in a bunch of people. You know, I'm not quite sure how to do that. She just did it. And she prayed, and she was diligent to pray for her neighbor. And the Lord set it up, and her neighbor came to faith because she shared. And it came through training, but at the end of that training was the expectation that this doesn't terminate on you. And man, she's a mom. She has four kids. Another mom that had two kids, six kids running all around them. And they're right there in the driveway, and she's sharing the gospel with her. And so uh, it, there is a training aspect, that we understand our faith, that we understand the biblical narrative and the story and all that there is, because that does matter. The content matters. Um, and at the end of it, though, the content has to spill over life on life. And you've got to tell. You've got to share. So That's good. So we, as we move towards like looking to the future, one of the, the things that happens every time this year is that the baptism numbers come out for the Southern Baptist Convention. And continuing to decline. Uh, and so there's all this hand-wringing and all these different solutions that are, that are being proposed. One of the things, though, that I think, and Dr. Moeller has said this on multiple occasions, uh, part of the issue is that we've never really been good at reaching the wider culture. We've been good at reaching our children, and we're having fewer children, which means fewer baptisms. Uh, and so since we have never been good, it's not that it's a, a contemporary problem, it's been kind of a historic problem for us, where do we go from here uh, to address this lostness in America? Well, naturally, I, I believe the New Testament model was plant churches. I, I think that is the best evangelism strategy is to plant churches. And uh, we've, we've seen that. Um, 70% of the baptisms in Canada uh, are from churches planted in the last five years. Yeah. Um, over a third of the ter- baptisms in the Northeast are from churches planted in the last five years. Um, and, and I always hate to say statistics like this because it could be used against a traditional or a, a, an existing church, but uh, the attendee ratio per baptism in church plants uh, versus that in the existing church is 67% more effective in the church plants because they ha- they, the only way they're going to compel and get a group to get, they have to have Bible studies in the living rooms yeah. and they have to be very intentional. You don't plant churches by going to Starbucks and just hanging around hoping somebody wants mm-hmm. ask you a question about it. You've got to be very intentional in developing relationships and uh, intentional, as Nathan was saying, in, in, in all the different ways, by land, by sea, by air. You know, we're having, a, I, I rented the uh, Texas Stadium tomorrow night. Uh, please go. Uh, it's a, very nerve-wracking to throw a party for 60,000 people and hope they show up. But, uh, but, but we do crusade. We, we're trying to put all the, the different hooks in the water, so to speak. But I really do believe that church planning is the most strategic evangelistic tool, although some don't see church planning as evangelism. And I'm convinced the Apostle Paul did, and, uh, 
And so that's why we're focused on it and feel like it is very much evangelism. Um, and we'll transition to more about church planning in just a second, but just uh, you two guys, um, how do you lead your, I'm going to ask you first, how do you lead your church to become more aggressive evangelistically? What are some things you've done? And then what's the role of the pastor in setting, in setting the tone? So Ashine first, and then Nathan. Um, yeah, I think, I think for us, like um, back to maybe the training question to answer that is, is not necessarily we train our, our, our people too, and, and when you say is there a specific method you like, we wouldn't probably pick a method that's like, hey, you ask this question, and then if they answer this way, like one of those choose your own adventures, then you turn to page 64, or yeah. turn to, I don't know if y'all remember that, choose your own. Anyways, yeah, awesome. so it, it, that's not, it's not that kind of a, you know what I mean, uh, strategy, but rather teach them um, the big biblical principles of, first of all, prayer evangelism, like begin praying for that person in your in your street, uh, then relational evangelism. Uh, invite them into your home. Hospitality. Um, ask them questions. I, I think of Philip when he goes up to the Ethiopian in, in the chariot. He doesn't right away go and start sharing the gospel. He says, "Hey, do you understand what you're reading?" He he. Now your lost friend may not be reading the prophet Isaiah like the Ethiopian man was, but he goes and he asks them a question. And so training them to ask questions. Where are they coming from? Learn from them. Uh, those kind of big things, and let the let it be more organic. But again, back to the content, they got to really have a good, strong understanding of the gospel so that when Paul uh, in Acts 17 is observing their life and then he sees a bridge to the gospel, seeing an inscription, for instance, or even using their poetry, then he, as he's doing life, with, as they're doing life with their neighbors, they can find bridges to get them to the gospel. And so we try to train that way. And then, as I said, we motivate them by um, Again, hopefully showing them that this isn't a, a thing that, man, you have to, but that you get to. Yeah. And do you understand the grace? And this is what Paul says, that, that, that my reward is that I get to preach the gospel, that I get to be a part of the gospel going out is reward enough for me. So, awesome. yeah. Nathan, what's the role of the pastor in setting the tone? Yeah, I mean, I think when Paul says to Timothy in the pastor manuals to do the work of an evangelist, I think it means more than include the message of salvation in your sermon or you, Pastor Timothy, evangelize. It's a manual on how to lead a flock. And I think it's an instruction to lead your people to evangelize as much as anything. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, the role of the pastor, I, I think leading the people, the flock to evangelize, is one of the key components of pastoring a church. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, that gap, again, I think between the pew and real-life evangelism is just so great that it takes the pastor playing a major role in providing an on-ramp for people to actually get traction and share the gospel with lost friends. So... You know, obviously the pastor's got to become the face. The evangelism ministry of the church is one of those ministries where if the lead pastor isn't the advocate, it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's that important that the pastor play a part. And so um, just ensuring the people are getting the training. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how often you say, well, we just want them to flow from the, you know, share from the overflow of the heart. That's not going to happen <laughs> if you don't help them. That would be like saying, I'm called to preach and I'm just going to preach from the overflow and the sermon's going to come out crystal clear and the audience is going to get it. No, they're not. You know, you need training so that you can present the material in a clear way to give people the best chance to understand it. So just making sure that people are getting the basic training of what, what the gospel is and isn't, so they're not adding to it and not taking away from it, just giving them something as simple as the structure of God, Christ, man response, so you can present it in an orderly way, um, 
I mean, I think the pastor's got to make sure intentionally there's actually a process and a plan that's on-ramping people to be able to share the gospel, or they're just not going to. And I agree. It starts with the pastor, but I would, I would say I, I, what, one of my things is I think stories are powerful, and I want, um, as much as I can, we're getting better at this at Providence, of, of sharing the stories of what our people are doing in evangelism mm-hmm. and lives being changed. And because I think what I want our people to see is it's not just, hey, the pastor, well, he's the pastor. But I say, oh, he did, man, I could do that. If, mm-hmm. if Bill went, up, went yeah. out there, then yeah. I could do it. And so that's kind of what I would love for our people to see. So, yeah, so let's, let's kind of transition to church planting. Uh, and Kevin, you talked about like the best evangelism method. So Kevin and then, and then Josh, uh, one of the issues, like yeah, if we're going to reach North America, we've got to plant more churches. Uh, but even historically in Southwest Convention, we, we're, we've been good at starting churches, but keeping them going and, and reproducing has not been something historically that we were always good at. Right. And so what were some of the challenges that you faced at NAM, and what were some of the changes that you've implemented? And then Josh can ask you, actually, 9, sustainability is obviously a big key value. What, what have you seen as the key to long-term sustainability? Our problem at NAM, uh, when I got there, uh, I went around and uh, just uh, spot-ask people. And our, our problem is we let anybody who wanted to plant a church could. Our assessment was a pulse, and so, and, and that's, that's you, 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 can't, you can't plant churches that way, and, and so we had to raise the assessment um, to the chagrin of many, and still shed a lot of blood over that as, as raising the assessment. Now, we have about 60 to 65 percent of the people who go through our assessment pass, and which is, you know, uh, it's a good and, and bad. We need more planters. Uh, but we are not going to sacrifice the quality of the plants uh, for a sake of uh, quantity. I'm saying we're not going to sacrifice quality just so in the second week of June I can get up and tell big numbers. The uh, problem we found is that NAM had year for years given wrong numbers, bad numbers, fake numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when people talk about the different numbers of how we're planting churches now compared to before 2010, those numbers uh, were all fake. They made those up. And they really did. <laughs> and uh, so they were counting plants two and three years in a row and duplicate counts. It was all just smoke and mirrors. I had a suspicion of that when I was pastor. And a week into being at NAM, I realized I was right. You know, they'd been lying to us all that time. And so, um, one, we had to go back and confront the brutal facts of, look, we've got to, I don't care what the number is, we've got to do quality plants of, of high-capacity planters. And, uh, and, and that has... That has, we've seen uh, the survivability rate. Our overall survivability rate right now is 84%. First year, it's 96%. Second year, it's 92%. The last, uh, since 2015, every church we planted in Canada since 2015, every one of them still uh, still doing very well, 100% success rate in Canada. I don't know if it's the cold or what. But, uh, uh, but so we've seen, as we raised our assessment level, we've seen the survivability levels uh, increase dramatically. And so I'm very, very thankful. We're not going to compromise uh, by lowering the standards so everybody can go back to a pulse. We're not going to do that. No. That's the key for us anyway. What about uh, A29? What is the key you found for long-term sustainability? Yeah, I think with, with A29 is, is through the assessment. You start with a high bar, and, right. and the bar has been set really high in Acts 29, and, and you've had that, that up here, and, and then you have certain capacities of leaders that show up and that can lead because church planning is hard. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's a challenging game, and um, it's not for the faint of heart. And so you, you do need people who are called to that. You right. need men who are, who are called and qualified and ready. And so raising the bar and then training alongside of that. 
so Acts 29 has a sweet brotherhood, uh, and it's building that familial uh, kind of feel in and throughout the network, and, and that's been great. I think decentralizing has been really helpful in, in terms of um, the various networks working together creates a more on-the-ground approach, and, and leadership is happening more on the ground. And you guys probably see this and, and, and know this. Most of the pastors that I'm interacting with who are, who are kind of fading away, they're fading away because there's a disconnect between their head and their heart. There's an emotional falling. It, there's fatigue. There's burnout. There is a distance between head and heart in such a way where they can't connect. They're not integrated. And that lack of integration creates an, an emotional unhealth. And that's where I'm seeing guys fade. And it's hard. It's not, it's not doctrine. It's not, it's not knowledge. It's, um, it's, it's a disconnect. It's a disintegration between their heads and their hearts. And, and that's hard to watch. Um, and so my hope and my passion is that we would be leading towards greater health and leadership, sending out healthier men uh, from the get-go and training them to, to remain healthy. No, I was going to say, I'm sure you guys do the same thing. And not to discourage you, if you want to be a church planner, we desperately need more church planners. And, and when you go through our assessment, you get a green light, uh, which obviously means you pass. You get a yellow light, which means you pass with conditions. Uh, you get an orange light, which means you do not pass with a path to come back and be assessed again. And then you get a red light, which means you've got to be kidding me. So, uh, <laughs> the, but, I mean, there, but there is a path. There is a path to get there. Even for the, the red light, we just help them try to find a vocational opportunity somewhere else. Yeah, well, so just real quick, what would you say, I mean, to, to Kevin's point, we, if there's somebody in the room who's saying, man, I, I want to plant a church one day, but it sounds, I know it's difficult, now it sounds even more difficult than I thought. Uh, how would you tell them to work now to address some of that disconnect? Yeah, you got you to gotta address the disconnect. Um, it, it's, a, it's a self-awareness issue, and this is something that, um, you know, it, the red light folks are, right. those are the guys who feel called to preach, but nobody's calling them to preach, right? <laughs> and um, We tell them to call 829. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it, uh, there are red light folks where this is just not your gig. It's just not for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for, I, I'm not a church planner. I'm not. I don't want to do it. I don't feel called to do it. I'm not sure I'm cut out to do it, but there are men who are. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get alongside those men and help them and equip them and train them and, um, and hopefully create pathways where it's not just year one, year two, year three, but year 14, 15, 16. Exactly. I mean, you, the panel last night uh, of the guys who were working through the preaching panel, you know, 16 years, 14 years, 31 years, mm-hmm. 16 years. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. And multiplying churches. Exactly. So it's not just, you know, Matt Carter's been there 16 years. Praise God for that. But he's been multiplying for 16 mm-hmm. years. And they're multiplying health. And that's what we need. We need mm-hmm. not just multiplication for multiplication's sake, but healthy multiplication. Exactly. Let, me, let me ask, um, so Ashley and then Nathan, y'all, y'all have a staff guy that you're, you're planting out. What does it take? <clears throat> Somebody, a pastor out here says, we want to become a church planting church, don't know where to start. How did you lead your church uh, in that direction? Yeah, so we, we're planting our third church uh, this fall. Uh, our first church we planted in McKinney just next door. We sent 100 folks uh, with our, one of our associate pastors. Our second church we planted uh, in North Carolina, and so we just we sent a pastor and his family. So that was a, a, a hive plant. But this church in September we're planting just north of us in Salina, and we're sending out our worship pastor, Matt Boswell, and we'll probably send about 200 people with him uh, so I, I think um, the way we lead our people, I, I think, first of all, the elders and I would say the, the lead pastor who's communicating vision every Sunday from the pulpit has to have 
again, what I would say, a, you said Paul's strategy, a biblical vision for uh, the mission that God has given us. And, and as I study Acts and I see Paul's strategy, he says, all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum, uh, I've finished the ministry God's given me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, obviously not every person between Jerusalem and Illyricum has heard the gospel, but what he's saying is, Along the way, he's been planting churches and raising up elders. And so his strategy is he knows he alone is not going to be able to, to fulfill the mission. And, and so he's got to plant sustainable churches that are producing other churches. And that's why he can say that. He knows his work is done there. And in First Thessalonians, he says, the report of your faith going out everywhere has, has reached me so that I need not say anything. In other words, I don't have to come to your area you are now multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And so I think uh, for the elders to have a settled conviction that my goal is not to reach people for my church, you know, to have a real uh, eternal perspective of why I'm here. I have a limited amount of time. It's to reach the nations. And starting with my Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so it's not going to happen if it's just our church. And so we, we want to... Our people love that, and I'll tell you, every time we've sent 100 away, we're going to send 200 away, it's, it's been something that has hurt, and we've like, I mean, I've yeah. been like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I wasn't expecting you, and then there's some who stay that I was like, are you kidding me? I was expecting you to leave. <clears throat> Sorry, filter did not work there, but anyways, so, um, but, but man, I, I can't lose you, and I, I say this in a good way, in our first plan, we lost 100, so many of them leaders. About two weeks later, I, it was almost like, who were they? And not to put them down, but just to show you how amazing God was in replenishing and people coming from the sidelines and jumping in who were just kind of on the, on the bench. And so in that, you know, J.D. Greer, gaining by losing, right? I mean, I think that just, it, 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 you were talking about, it just makes us healthier uh, when we become, and more, more young people want to come to our church because they, they, they think if we come to Providence, the track record shows that, man, I'm going to get poured into, and I'm going to have a good opportunity to be sent out. Yeah. So, Nathan, speak to what Ashley is talking about. You guys have sacrificed quite a bit to support and send church planners. How do you, if a pastor out here is like, I want to do that, but he's fearful of losing people, fearful of what he's going to do his church, how, have you, how would you counsel him, and how have you seen that work in your own church? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's encouraging, but it's hard. It is... Uh... I, I think the pastor of the planting church, so I've been on both ends. I planted our church 16 years ago, and we had a mother church that gave us a core group and that whole deal, and then we've replicated the same model in planting churches. Um, I, I think a lead pastor has to understand it's the calling of God for you to plant churches. I agree with what Kevin said. Like It's right there on the pages of the New Testament. Um, I don't think we're a failure if we don't. But I think any and every local church can support church planting, whether your church has the resources to, to carry the, the load and do the heavy lifting and be the Clydesdale horse with the plan, so to speak, or whether it's through a cooperative effort of churches like the Southern Baptist Convention or 829. I think every local church is supposed to be participating in the planting of churches. I think we can all agree on that. That's like our starting place but we do have to realize as lead pastors, it is a calling from God. And I think we have to realize that because it's the calling of God that leads us to the point where we can't deny we're supposed to do this. So therefore, I'm willing to go through whatever it takes. And I think that's what we need. 
in our hearts and minds as pastors because it is so hard. From a distance, church planting looks and sounds so romantic and it's rainbows and unicorns, you know. <laughs> but you get backstage and it is very messy. Uh, church planting is cooking by feel, not by recipe. It's not like some formula you're following, bing, bang, boom, you've got 100% success rate. I mean, that doesn't exist. No two church plants are alike. Uh, it's literally cooking by feel, and there's a lot of hurt feelings backstage. There's a lot of misunderstandings. Uh, it's precarious. It's scary. The lead pastor will cry. I mean, it's painful letting these people go because, you know, in your heart, you're like, well, if these people would go, that'd be great for our church, you know, but at the end of the day, it's the people you, you don't want to leave who end up leaving. Yeah. And so it's, it's really precarious. But in that maybe is some perverse encouragement in that if, if, if you know it's hard for everyone and it never goes exactly how you hoped, that's encouraging because then you know the struggles are not you. Mm. This is just the reality of church planting. So I think if a pastor's looking for some easy road to say I planted a church, that ain't happening. You know, that's a pipe dream. It's messy. You've got to roll up the sleeves. There's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be hard conversations. But it is the calling of God, and it is absolutely fantastic and exhilarating. Josh, would you tell us a little bit about um, Village's multiply strategy? So you, you guys have come to a conviction of you have multi-site strategy, spinning these off as autonomous churches. How did y'all reach that conviction? Yeah, it's, it's been a process. So multiply for us is, uh, over the years, we've had six campuses. Uh, we're a, a multi-site church, and uh, several years ago, uh, as we're kind of looking forward at, at the landscape of what we, uh, who we wanted to be and what we saw around us, that the energy that we wanted to focus on was not the energy of maintaining the complexities of a multi-site church. And we saw an opportunity uh, to think about those campuses, to raise up leadership on those particular campuses, and transition them off to become local autonomous churches. And our first one we did a couple years ago in Denton, the Village Church Denton, led by Bo Hughes and that team there. It's a fantastic team. And, and they transitioned off, and they're doing fantastic. They're doing great. And so we have five campuses uh, left, and over the next several years, our, our goal and our aim is to take each one of those campuses and, and uh, raise up the man, the membership, and the leadership. Uh, when those three are in concert and in conviction, that will transition them off to become local autonomous churches. And each campus, given our size dynamic, it's, it's challenging. Uh, so these campuses, some are 2,000 people, 2,500 people. Uh, and so each one's varied. Each one comes with its own unique kind of complexities. But for us, as we're thinking about the future, local is where all of our hearts are. And if we think about local preaching, local ministry, local mission, all of that, for us at the village, and this is just our conviction here, our energy and our attention, and, and even to some degree our affection, we wanted it to be where we are. And, and you lose, you introduce contextual ceilings in multi-site. It's not a bad thing, it just is a thing. Uh, and we, we wanted to remove as many of those contextual ceilings as we could. And so uh, that's our hope. That's why we're doing it. That's really, that's really helpful. We've got about, about 30 seconds left. I want to I take that time just to ask a question because we've, one area of evangelism in the church we have not talked about is evangelistic preaching because we've been talking about the sending aspect. Real quick, if you were saved in a church gathering of some kind, like a worship service, vacation Bible school revival service, would you raise, raise your hand if you were saved inside the gathering? So about a little more than, than half. So encouragement to pastors can continue evangelistic preaching as well as training and sending out your people. Would you guys thank our panelists for that conversation? Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. 
Visit our website, ERLC.com, to find more resources related to this and a variety of other topics. And join us next week to hear a panel answering some of your pressing questions about technology.